Chapter Twenty One of Babbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti. MikeVendetti.com. Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Twenty One. The International Organization of Boosters Clubs has become a world force for optimism, mainly pleasantry, and good business. Chapters are to be found now in thirty countries. Nine hundred and twenty of the thousand chapters, however, are in the United States. None of these is more ardent than the Zenith Boosters Club. The second March launch of the Zenith Boosters was the most important of the year, as it was to be followed by the annual election of officers. There was agitation abroad. The lunch was held in the ballroom of the O'Hearn House. As each of the four hundred boosters entered, he took from a wallboard a huge celluloid button announcing his name, his nickname, and his business. There was a fine of ten cents for calling a fellow booster by anything but his nickname at a lunch, and as Babbitt joyfully checked his hat, the air was radiant with shouts of, "Hello, Chet!" and "Hello, you, Shorty!" and "Top of the morning, Mac!" They sat at friendly tables for eight, choosing places by lot. Babbitt was with Abbott Booz, the merchant tailor, Hector Saybolt of the Little Sweetheart Condensed Milk Company, Emil Wingrett the jeweler Professor Pomproy of the Rightway Business College, Dr. Walter Gorbett, Roy Teagarden, the photographer, and Ben Berkeley, the photo-engraver. One of the merits of the Booster Club was that only two persons from each department of business were permitted to join, so that you at once encountered the ideals of other occupations and realized the metaphysical oneness of all occupations plumbing and portrait-painting, medicine, and the manufacture of chewing-gum. Babbitt's table was particularly happy today because Professor Pomeroy had just had a birthday and was therefore open to teasing. "'Let's pump-pump about how old he is,' said Emil Wingert. "'Now let's paddle him with a dancing-pump,' said Ben Berkeley. But it was Babbitt who had the applause with, "'Don't talk about pumps to that guy!' The only pump he knows is a bottle. Honest, they tell me he's starting a class in home-brewing at the old college. At each place was the Booster Club booklet, listing the members. Though the object of the club was good fellowship, yet they never lost sight of the importance of doing a little more business. After each name was the member's occupation. There were scores of advertisements in the booklet, and on one page the abdomination there's no rule that you have to trade with your fellow boosters, but get wise, boy. What's the use of letting this good money go outside our happy family? And at each place today, there was a present, a card printed in artistic red and black. Service and Boosterism Service finds its finest opportunity and development only in its broadest and deepest application, and the consideration of its perpetual action upon reaction. I believe the highest type of service, like the most progressive tenets of ethics, senses unceasingly and is motivated by active adherence and loyalty to that which is the essential principle of boosterism, good citizenship, in all its factors and aspects. Dad Peterson Compliments of Dadbury Peterson Advertising Corporation Ads, not fads, at dads. The boosters all read Mr. Peterson's aphorism, and said they understood it perfectly. The meeting opened with the regular weekly stunts. Retiring President Virgil Gunch 
was in his chair, his stiff hair like a hedge, his voice like a brazen gong of festival. Members who had brought guests introduced them publicly. This tall, reddited piece of misinformation is the sporting editor of the press, said Willis Jemmes, and H. H. Hazen, the druggist, chanted, Boys, when you're on a long motor tour and finally get to a romantic spot or scene and drop and remark to the wife, this is certainly a romantic place. It sends a glow right up and down your vertebrae. Well, my guest today is from such a place, Harper's Ferry, Virginia, in the beautiful Southland, with memories of good old General Robert E. Lee and that brave soul, John Brown, who, like every good booster, goes marching on. There were two especially distinguished guests, the leading man of the Bird of Paradise, company playing his week at the Dodsworth Theatre, and the mayor of Zenith, the Honorable Lucas Prout. Virgil Gutz thundered, When we managed to grab this celebrated thespian off his lovely aggregation of beautiful actresses, and I got to admit, I butted right into his dressing room and told him how the boosters appreciated the high-class artistic performance he's giving us, and don't forget that the treasurer of the Dodsworth is a booster and will appreciate our patronage. And when on top of that we yank his honor out of the Malfucius duties at City Hall, then I feel we've done ourselves proud. And Mr. Prout will now say a few words about the problems and duties. By rising vote, the booster decided which was the handsomest and which the ugliest guest and to each of them was given a bunch of carnations, donated, President Gulch noted, by Brother Booster H. G. Yeager, the Jennifer Avenue florist. Each week, in rotation, four boosters were privileged to obtain the pleasures of generosity and publicity by donating goods or services to four fellow members, chosen by lot. There was laughter this week when one of the contributors was announced as Barnabas Joy, the undertaker. Everybody whispered, I can think of a couple of good guys to be buried if his donation is a free funeral. Through all these diversions, the boosters were lunching on chicken croquettes, peas, fried potatoes, coffee, apple pie, and American cheese. Gunch did not lump the speeches. Presently, he called on the visiting secretary of the Zenith Rotary Club, a rival organization. The secretary had the distinction of possessing state motor car license number five. The Rotary Secretary laughingly admitted that wherever he drove in the state, so low a number created a sensation, and, though it was pretty nice to have the honor, yet traffic cops remembered it only too darn well, and sometimes he didn't know but what he'd almost as soon have just plain B-5-6-8-7-6, or something like that. Only let any doggone booster try to get number five away from a live Rotarian next year and watch the fur fly. And if they'd permit him, he'd wind up calling for a cheer for the Boosters and Rotarians and the Kiwanis altogether. Babbitt sighed to Professor Pumphrey. Be pretty nice to have a load number as that. Everybody'd say, he must be an important guy. Wonder how he got it. I'll bet he whined and dined the superintendent of Motor License Bureau to fare you well. Then Chump Frank addressed them. Some of you may feel that it's out of place here to talk on a strictly highbrow and artistic subject, but I want to come out flat-footed and ask you boys to okay the proposition of a symphony orchestra for Zenith. Now, where a lot of you make your mistake is assuming that if you don't like classical music and all that junk, 
you ought to oppose it. Now I want to confess that, though I'm a literary guy by profession, I don't care a rap for all this long-haired music. I'd rather listen to a good jazz band at any time to some piece by Beethoven that hasn't any more tune to it than a bunch of fighting cats, and you couldn't whistle it to save your life. But that isn't the point. Culture has become as necessary an adornment and advertisement for a city today as pavements or bank clearances. It's culture in theaters and art galleries and so on that brings thousands of visitors to New York every year. And, to be frank, for all our splendid attainments, we haven't yet got the culture of a New York or Chicago or Boston, or at least we don't get the credit for it. The thing to do then as a blithe bunch of go-getters is to capitalize culture, to go right out and grab it. Pictures and books are fine for those that have the time to study them, but they don't shoot out on the road and holler, this is what little old Zenith can put up in the way of culture. That's precisely what a symphony orchestra does. Look at the credit Minneapolis and Cincinnati get, an orchestra with first-class musicers and a swell conductor. And I believe we ought to do the thing up brown and get one of the highest-paid conductors on the market, providing he ain't a hun. It goes right into Beantown and New York and Washington. It plays at the best theaters to the most cultured and moneyed people. It gives such class advertising as a town can get in no other way. And the guy who is so short-sighted as to crib his orchestra a proposition is passing up the chance to impress the glorious name of Zenith on some big New York millionaire that might, that might establish a branch factory here. I could also go into the fact that for our daughters who show an interest in highbrow music and may want to teach it, having an A1 local organization is of great benefit. But let's keep this on a practical basis. And I call on you good brothers to whoop it up for culture in a world-beating symphony orchestra. They applauded. To a rustle of excitement, President Gunch proclaimed, Gentlemen, we will now proceed to the annual election of officers. For each of the six offices, three candidates had been chosen by a committee. The second name among the candidates for vice president was Babbitts. He was surprised. He looked self-conscious. His heart pounded. He was still more agitated than when the ballots were counted, and Gunch said, It's a pleasure to announce that Georgie Babbitt will be the Inest assistant gavel-wielder. I know of no man who stands more staunchly for common sense and enterprise than good old George. Come on, let's give him our best long yell. As they adjourned, a hundred men crushed in to slap his back. He had never known a higher moment. He drove away in a blur of wonder. He lunged into his office, chuckling to Miss McGowan. Well, I guess you better congratulate your boss. Been elected vice president of the Boosters. He was disappointed. She answered only, Yes, yeah, so oh, Mrs. Babbitt, been trying to get you on the phone. But the new salesman, Fritz Weingert, said, By golly, Chief, say, that's great. That's perfectly great. I'm tickled to death. Congratulations. Babbitt called the house and crowed to his wife. Heard you're trying to get me, Myra. Say, you got to hand it to little Georgie this time. Better talk careful. You are now addressing the vice president of the Boosters Club. Oh, Georgie. Pretty nice, huh? Willis Ijams is the new president, but when he's away, little old Georgie takes a gavel and whoops him up 
and introduces the speakers, no matter if they're the governor himself and... George, listen. It puts him in solid with big men like Doc Dilling and George Paul Riesling. Yeah, sure. I'll phone Paul and let him know about it right away. Georgie, listen. Paul's in jail. He shot his wife. He shot Celia this noon. She may not live. End of chapter 21